you see my you see my name coming into the chat today? Bend over. Yeah. <laughs> that was like I remember somewhere around like eighth grade, someone put that together. They're like, oh Ben, bend over. I was like, you <laughs> motherfucker. But the funny thing was later in life, maybe about junior year of high school, I started dating someone named Eileen. So it was bend over and I leaned over. <laughs> that's pretty, um, that's hilarious. That went well. I'm sure you got some, some ribbings. Hey, Brad, do me a favor. Do me a favor here. Okay. I didn't hear your voice enough in this interview. <laughs> Tell me a story. <laughs> I want to hear something. I want to hear something great about you today. On the spot, you know? All right, let me ask you this question. Just for fun. Just for fun. What is the most embarrassing moment you've ever had on stage? I told this before. I told this one. Oh, yeah. You just told it like a month ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Scratch that because we already <laughs> did it. Okay. There's another moment I had on stage that, was, that should have been embarrassing, but it wasn't. Okay. Tell me that one. So this is kind of in the early days of the Goops. When we were we were big in the in New York, but we right. hadn't. I don't think we'd done any tours really outside of like the Northeast. And a very close friend of ours asked us to come play her birthday party, which was at a place called Space at Chase, which I think was on Second Avenue. Okay, and it wasn't the kind. It wasn't a very punk rock venue. It was more like it was the kind of place that mostly like out of town bands would play. But she knew the owners or whatever, so she got us to come play her birthday party. And she had a bunch of other. She knew a lot of bands, and. Somebody had these brown polyester pants that were like Whoa. UPS driver pants from the <laughs> 70s or something. Okay. And we decided to all wear them. And they didn't fit any of us. They were like humongous on all of us. Okay. So we put on white shirts and ties. And I didn't have a belt, I guess, at the time. So <laughs> the shirt tucked in was the only thing kind of holding my pants up. Mm -hmm. And we got to the venue and... She, she, we wanted to go on and play and get off. It was like a Tuesday night or something. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, no, you guys are like, you're the big stars. You have to play last because oh. everyone's going to leave if you play first. Oh, that's always the best at a small New York City fucking bar <laughs> show playing last. I don't, it sounds mean now, but for some reason we went next door. There was an old man. Maybe it's because the way we were dressed. There was this right. total like old man bar next door mm -hmm. where just alcoholics would drink at like two in the afternoon. Sure. And we went favorites. in there and started drinking Manhattans. <laughs> okay. And I drank seven Manhattans. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Not especially a day you're working for UPS. Not a good job. And we went back <laughs> completely hammered. Yeah. We got on stage and it was a set where like we didn't make it through one song. Like, oh, we'd, no. get, we'd get halfway through a song and I would like do like a leap into the air and fall on the drums, <laughs> not, not intentionally, and knock them all over. Uh, and then about halfway through the set, I think I took my shirt off because it was also probably polyester. And of course the pants fell down. So all I had on was boxers. I kicked the pants off. Yeah. I just had a pair of boxers on. And of course, halfway through the session, Eleanor pulls the boxers off. Oh. So I kicked those off and I finished the set completely naked. Just wow. with the guitar in front of my crotch. Is this like like what's nineties <laughs> Brad looking like? Like were you pretty confident about your body? You were feeling okay about yeah, it? Yeah, I looked good, dude. I looked fine. <laughs> so you were stoked. <laughs> Anyway, that's what happened. We ended up like hanging out. After being the first ones to show up, we were also like the last ones to leave. 
Um, the set was horrible, but it goes down in history because there was a photographer there that night, even though oh. this was pre-internet social media. Yeah. There was somebody following us around who took a bunch of pictures <gasps> and thankfully gave me the, the negatives. Okay. Along with some prints. Okay. So eventually I ended up going home. <laughs> I, my pants got lost. So I walked back. <laughs> I lived on seven on Sixth Street between A and B at that point. So I walked back from like 2nd Avenue and 12th Street just like at three o'clock in the morning in, in just boxers. A pair of boxers and yeah. shiny white patent leather shoes that I uh, managed. But what's fine. I mean, it's New York City. No, no, you probably no one looked at you twice. No, no, not at all. Yeah. New York in like 93, <laughs> especially then. Yeah, it was. I think it was 93. Um, but I'll tell you what, I will post a photograph from that. On our Patreon.com oh, account. Wow, our lucky patrons. Because our it. patrons are privy to a lot of these kind of stories on our Thursday night chat. And I will, I'll give them a little taste of what that night was like. Because yeah. Oh, it's a little taste, not a big taste? <laughs> I'm not going to give... There's, there's fully expose photos that I will not include. I'll put in the photo of, of me with the white patent leather shoe over my dick. Okay. Well, if anyone, <laughs> this is also apropos to our Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> conversation. Yes. Because we got a great story from Steve about Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who famously took a Rolling Stone photo shoot with a sock on his penis, right? True that. Yeah. So this actually works in, works in really well. Maybe you could do a side-by-side -side for our patrons. <laughs> See who had the better body in the 90s. So. <laughs> Well, okay. sp speaking of which, these are the types of things available on our Patreon. Uh, yeah. Brad posts <laughs> naked photos of himself. Uh, we post extra clips. I don't know if Brad recorded me and Steve talking about the oh, yes. Toronto Raptors. I got 16 minutes of sports talk at the end of this. Good, good. With a warning, with a warning note. I left it towards the end. <laughs> and then, of course, our uh, Thursday night fireside chats, which are growing in numbers and growing in spirituality, I would say. <laughs> People are starting to get into it in there. That's what I want. I want like an hour or two of just free, open, judgmentless discussion, you know, where we can actually take our things for the week and give it to a, you know, a public <laughs> council. We're like Bane and his friends and Batman, you know? So <laughs> if anybody's interested in joining this fun little community... Brad will give you the link in a cool late night 70s talk show voice. That's HTTPS colon backslash backslash patreon.com slash going off track. Pretty remarkable after all these years of internet, they still haven't sorted out the HTTPS double <laughs> backslash, you know? Well, you don't, most browsers, you don't have to actually put that in. Is that like a Y2K thing? Like if people stop writing that, the internet's going to break? I, I mean, don't you remember? You used to have to put www before every address or it wouldn't go there. That's true. That's, That's true. That's gone. So they got rid of that. Well, let's not get into internet nerd stuff too much. <laughs> but it was really fun having Steve on. Very insightful oh, yeah. guy. Very thoughtful guy. Uh, Pup is one of my, my favorite groups around yeah, these days. They're, absolutely. There's not a lot of bands out there these days that I'm you know kind of sitting on the edge of my seat to see what they're going to do next because as we discussed in this interview they uh they know how to keep it fresh they do things yeah. differently and and you can tell in the interview there's a lot of um thought and effort to do so from the band which i appreciate even more you know 
You know what I hadn't realized, which is again apropos. You know they used to be called Topanga. Yeah, I did know that actually because I saw them pretty early on. I think actually in Toronto when I was up there working, and okay, uh, I don't think it was that long after they had changed the name. So it's a few weeks straight now that that Topanga and Boy Meets World is is coming up in the same podcast. Maybe we should, <laughs> should we try to get her on? Sure. Is this like is this the world telling us something? Yeah, definitely. I mean. <laughs> You're the one who said you watched it recently. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Should we get into this? Let's listen. It's going on is, is that good for you? <laughs> Morris Peterson? Is that what it says? It sure does. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's great for me. I, I quickly was like, oh, I'm going to give him like a you know, like a 90s deep cut. And then I realized that I was, you're probably more of like, you came up with the 2000s Raptors, I would imagine, right? Well, yeah, I was born in 88. So 95 would have been right around when, uh, you know, I was kind of just becoming sentient. Like I, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like properly for, for sports, I think. But, um, you know, I remember the 93 Blue Jays World Series and, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I did actually go see the Raptors at Skydome uh, play the Showtime Lakers oh, in 95. Wow. Okay. So, so you know, I had a little bit of like, uh, my dad was a big sports guy. So there was always kind of like, um, if there was a game to go to and and he kind of thought I was like old enough, he would always kind of be down to take me. Um, you know, and back in the day with the, with the Raptors, like in 95, you could go to the, like our version of CVS is Shoppers Drug Mart. Right. And you could buy tickets for the Raptors at Shoppers Drug Mart. Wow. Oh, they had like a, a deal be- between the two companies there? Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> it was a, like nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> right. Nobody even knows right. how basketball works in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I, I'm obviously uh, it's very reductive. Like clearly people, some people knew. But, uh, sure. Uh, but yeah, so you could just get them at the drugstore for like 10 bucks. Like so, a $10. I remember when I was a kid, the Nets were so awful out in the swamp that they perpetually had this deal that if you went to the stadium, you could buy an $8 seat, but you had to sit like the upper section of the upper level. Yeah. You know, so they're like nosebleeds for eight bucks. Come and get them. Oh, which is, which is amazing. Cause um, you know, I have, I have partial seasons or I did when, when we were allowed to, uh, right. you know, do things other than I guess in Texas yesterday, <laughs> yes. but, uh, um, uh, you know, and and uh, my seats are like way up in the Air Canada Center, or the, the Scotiabank Arena, um, uh, and they're not cheap now. <laughs> uh, which I guess is what happens when you win a championship. That's right. Uh, Do you ever feel like you? May, I, I get the feeling that I kind of fucked myself by like outing myself as the biggest Nets fan because basketball is the world that would care the least about the fact that I'm in a band that some people like. And if yeah. I, and if I had just chosen like baseball or hockey, I'd probably have a much larger chance of like getting hooked up or something. But in basketball, it's like, yeah, fuck you. You're not you're not Drake. You're not Jay Z. You know? Yeah, I don't I don't know. You know, I can't tell if um if any of them are interested in in <laughs> any of us. I would <laughs> I would this point. I would pose a bet that if we got to poll every member of like the Maple Leafs, there's definitely a pup fan on the roster. There's gotta be. Yeah. I know that there's been some, uh, 
some guy. I think there was a guy who played for the Ottawa Senators for a while, who might play somewhere else now, but I think is still actively in the NHL. There have been a few people, you know. I feel like we make music for sports writers, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be your position because I, I, I find myself sliding into the DMs of a lot of sports writers myself. Just being like, <laughs> but, oh, um, this is this thing I can get nowhere near, but you seem yeah, potentially interested. So let me say hi. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of, uh, there, I think there are a lot of sports writers who are like, uh, do, do you remember that band uh, from, from up? up here called Constantine's. Yeah, of course. Great band. Um, uh, Bri Webb, who was the singer of Constantine's has a, has a, you know, his solo project is really interesting. Um, uh, uh, but it's kind of more like acoustic folk driven kind of, um, uh, but he has a song on that rec, one of his records called X punks. Okay. And I feel like that's like a, uh, that's like a, that's a song about sports writers in a lot of ways. Just like (laughs) there are a lot. It's definitely a a combined world for sure. Or it definitely at least like a, it seems to be a romance on each side. You know, it's kind of like these uh, inaccessible worlds that are, you know, all of a sudden accessible for people that seems interesting. Cause I've met a lot of different musicians from a lot of different places and I'm no longer like surprised or shocked at all. I could meet any of them, you know. But if I mm-hmm. met like Kenyon Martin, I'd be like, yeah. "Oh <laughs> shit, it's Kenyon Martin!" You know, it's just this weird. Maybe it's because I can play drums and I can't dunk a basketball, you know. Yeah, no, I think it is. There's definitely some element of that. Of like, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people like to make that joke of like writers wish they were musicians, or or what is it? Comedians wish they were musicians, <laughs> right? And musicians wish they were comedians mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. I think that sort of thing starts to with like professional athletes or like, or like, you know, uh, media type. There's always like a, there's sort of like a mutual appreciation of something. Um, but also a, like, I would rather have what you have. And, but I don't, I don't know that that, qu- that I don't know that that ever goes away. Right. That's the thing is right. like, I don't think like if you and I could dunk. Yes. I don't know that that, like how different would we feel about like meeting people in a band? You know what I mean? That's like, true. A lot of people can dunk. Uh, that is true. What do you, but, do you know any musicians who can throw one down? Uh, I know I have, there are a couple of, a couple of guys uh, in Toronto who, who can play, um, you know, you know, the guy who's serious, I don't know him personally, but uh, a few, a few people I do, I, I do know, uh, have have played with him um, is uh, Win Butler apparently can can hoop. Oh, okay. He's won the he's won the MVP at, at the NBA All Star Game a, yeah, co- a couple of times. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That really surprised me when I saw that. Yeah. Um, but I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a really great rapper in Toronto named Cadence Weapon, um, and he was talking about playing playing with Win a couple of times. Um, and he was like, "That guy's serious. He wow. he can throw down." What kind of game he has? He has like a He's a big a man, apparently. Big so, man. Wow, yeah. big man game. So he, can, so he can dunk, you know? <laughs> man, I love that. If we had to guess, like, let's throw out a guess. Okay. Who's like a random musician that you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy could probably throw down. I'm going to go Peter Steele from Typo Negative. Oh, wow. Okay. Because he's like, Brad, what is that guy? Like 6'8"? Peter Steele? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Typo fan. <laughs> um. Who, 
maybe like Joey Ramone could have tossed one down. I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, keeping in the vein of like, of like uh, dorky, like looking white indie rockers, right? Um, I I think Britt Daniel from Spoon could probably okay. Uh, I bet yeah. he looks that. like the kind of guy where I'm just like, oh, oh, that jump shot is wet, like. <laughs> 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 Oh man! Uh, um, who else? Well, you know, maybe my head is going straight to, you know, the tall group. But what about some of like the most athletic jumpers you've seen? Like some mm-hmm. some of those oh, guitar players and singers with those great, like someone like, hmm, like someone from Sick of It All can dunk randomly, right? Yeah, because <laughs> they're just so athletic. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is you know, I I guess this is the thing about about like I guess hardcore guys also wear basketball. I mean, I also have that's worn right. a basketball jersey. So there's there's that's a little right. bit there's a little bit of crossover there for sure. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. they can't throw down, that's kind of they're kind of maybe being I mean, posers a little bit. At this well, point. listen, I enjoy laying bricks. I don't think that makes me a poser. <laughs> I think no, it's just- no, no. I think there should be. I just th- I just thought of this. Let's propose this, right? If you want to make basketball shorts for your band, fair deal. But one of you has to throw down in order yes. to make them. Yeah, like I think that's to, yeah. And and none of this like nine foot just getting it over business. No, 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 no. Like 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 rock the rim a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we uh we we were gonna make those shorts as a joke. And, oh yes. Because <laughs> you, you should. know we're not we're not at all. Um, uh, like like serious hardcore uh, by any means, uh, but we just thought it would be so funny. And then we were like, "Oh, the overhead on the champion, like gym right. shorts, is way too yeah, steep. Yeah. There's you no gotta go. need. Yeah, like you have to buy units, uh, which is a little inside baseball pr- for the listeners. But maybe <laughs> you know that's like. <laughs> I think. I mean, I was going to bring it up later in the interview, but you know, your new stuff's getting a little heavier. So yeah, I could, I could I mean, see, you know, I could, you know, maybe get your version of like some sick dragon or flash art <laughs> tattoo, throw it on some sweats and just see how it does, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it's uh at this point all we have uh to um uh try and make a meager income is uh <laughs> slinging cotton. Yeah, that's right. At this right. point, so. Yeah, we're all t-shirt salesmen. That's yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest lines I ever heard on tour was was Chris Wallard from Hot Water Music. We were having some moment, like I was like talking about like tour in some really grand way. And he just kind of like sat back. He's just like, man, we're all just fucking t-shirt salesmen. <laughs> yeah, it's bleak, but it's true. Our, uh, our, our merch person, Steph, uh, uh, introduces herself as a cotton technician. <laughs> yeah well i mean they do that the only reason i would know the names of all this is being fucked with at the border you know it's like you got uh oh, sure you got, yeah, you got yeah, textiles yeah, yeah in there i'm like what are you talking about man mm-hmm. well i, I got, have i have zero sympathy for you because your border fucks us way worse oh yeah i mean yeah I, i'm not i i would just go ahead and assume Oh, that yeah. our border police are way worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's funny. You know, we've actually uh we've had to uh we're like reapplied for a work permit and all that sort of stuff that you right. would just normally kind of do because 
uh, not to get heavy off the bat, but the way the no, vaccine please. rollout, the way the vaccine rollout is going in the United States um, as an outsider is amazing. Right. Um, uh, and, but like the creeping anxiety is like, oh, well, what if festivals do happen this fall? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic about that. But like it is a reality that we've had to like, even though it feels like, you know, I'm I'm sitting in Toronto and uh we are currently still locked down. Right. But like it's it's that very weird kind of like, oh right, like we might have to drive to the border and and like go through, you know, um go through CBP and like get fingerprinted and do the whole thing. Uh so that if we have to like jump and go and and you know, go for a festival, mm. uh we can do that. And right. it's like, it's pretty wild. It feels fake. It doesn't feel real that mm. like touring could restart at some point in late 2021 or early 2022, you know? Yeah, no, I feel you. I actually just last night got a text from, from you know, someone at Mercy Union about like, you know, a couple like requests that are like starting to come in. And I'm like, wait, 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 I haven't, I didn't wrap my head around this yet. You know, like I'm like I, I'm like I don't know what I'm comfortable with, what I should be comfortable with, because like you said, I'm watching uh, what two thousand students like rushed the court last night in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, but then as you say, um, like we even have someone in our going off track Patreon chat who's from Ontario and he's in the restaurant business mm-hmm. and has talked about you know like a month ago how things were opening up and how it seems to be like going back into lockdown up there yeah yeah it's uh you know i don't know i mean uh, at the end of the day all we've seen is just the ongoing depravity of capitalism right 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 like at this point at this point billionaires and rich people generally have been okay and they've recovered all of their profits so sure, all right let's go right and it's like you know I don't think, uh, I don't think anyone is, or or it's hard to to kind of to to see what we've just watched occur over the last thirteen months and act like nothing. Like, who are these people who can act like nothing is fundamentally changed? Or like, how can we go back and act like nothing has fundamentally changed? You know, I think there's going to be a lot of, um soul searching and just kind of work that that people need to do to realize like what we've gone through is a an unequally uh, affecting event right yeah. like like a lot of sure. people have been hurt by this you know and i get it it's restaurant it's restaurants and it's like people like us who who you know uh travel and kind of open borders are a really like um uh it's a th- it's things that we take for granted that can go away very quickly. Sure, um, but that doesn't even speak to you know uh, how in in a lot of uh, Western worlds, like people of color, have been affected even worse. And you know that like it's just so it's been so unequal, and it still yeah. is, and it's still affecting people that way. It's just like it's been fucking crazy to watch. Like yeah, yeah, it's it's almost weird, right? Because if you if you study like you know, the last few hundred years of history and anytime anything seems to come up that really depraves the country, this, this class division that always exists seems to be highlighted 
Mm-hmm. You know, like even even if you go back to like the Black Plague and things like that, the things that poor people and rich people were doing to protect themselves in that time were so vastly different that they got to treat it so differently, see it differently. It was almost like two different versions of history. So I almost feel like I, I, I'm almost embarrassed about how surprised I was, you know, mm. that it, that it even happened and how it played out the way it played out because history has played this out for us before, you know? Yeah. But we don't like to learn. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's grim. I I've been, I've been trying to, um, not be doom pilled. Um, and I, I think I have largely succeeded. Um, you know, I try to maintain some optimism that hopefully we can learn from this, but, um, there have been days that, that, uh, that that optimism has felt like it's almost completely snuffed out. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's important to, as people who are, who do creative work, you know, one of our, one of our jobs moving forward is going to be to try and help people process. Like once it is, once it is, um, uh, possible to get back out on the road and everyone is feeling safe and has been vaccinated, like, you know, we need to, kind of have have the the space and the capacity to to let people express themselves and just kind of process what we're all going through. I mean even that that it is unequal is not to say that it doesn't affect everyone. It's just Yeah, that, right. You know, I don't know. It's 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 just been, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot sure. of stuff that I feel like we haven't even Yeah, lots to unpack here. Yeah, just like stuff that we haven't even be Gun uh thinking about or talking about because it's been so much about the kind of like and 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 rightfully so, but like has been so much about um the kind of critical care and like physiological reality right, of right, this. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, it's not like, a metaphor. It's, it's, yeah, it's, right. Yeah. And whereas like we kind of our job is to deal with the sort of like psychological and like metaphysical stuff that is still just like going to be unraveling for years and years and years. Right. Yeah. Right. It's almost going to be the creative's job to like emotionally unpack all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Now you say, let's keep it closer to optimism. You said you had good days and bad days. What, What are you doing on your good days day to day? Like, what are you telling yourself or like, what kind of routines are you doing even physically to, to yeah. keep yourself level and shit. I'm I'm getting up earlier. You know, um I, I haven't been I, I think anyone who who has, you know, done any touring can relate to like it's very easy even when you're home to just be like, oh, 2 a.m., huh? Hmm. Yeah. Easy. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're up at like 10, 10 30. <laughs> right. Like, uh, um, guess I'll catch the West Coast games tonight. Yeah. 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 And I still, I still have been catching the West Coast games. I'm not going to lie <laughs> yeah. to you, but, yeah, uh, the good thing I've been doing is just kind of putting myself to bed like right after the West Coast game. Okay. Um, okay. that's not too late. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll be up around 8 30. Uh, you know, get, get a good, we've been really lucky. One thing that, um, has been, has been awesome is, um, uh, uh, pup doesn't share a rehearsal space. Oh, um, so, um, my bandmates and I have, have some access and have been able to kind of play obviously masked up the whole thing. Um, 
so we've been able to play a little bit and just kind of cool. some days, you know, we can write music and other days it's just kind of us hanging out and chatting, um, sure. socially yeah. distanced in the rehearsal space. We have an air purifier in there, the whole thing. Um, you know, other than that, uh, uh, I, I have a therapist who I see regularly, which, uh, if anyone out there is listening and, and, uh, you know, has been on the fence about it, I can't recommend it enough. How uh, long have you been doing that for? Uh, for almost three years. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, he's got me like journaling and, and just kind of, you know, allowing myself in kind of like a mindfulness sort of thing to, to actually be able to allow yourself to kind of feel things and allow just to kind of sit in feelings rather than try and react to them or, or ignore them, you know, just sort of like go through it rather than try to go around it. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I've been reading a lot, um, uh, playing the guitar, uh, cooking. Just like, I think the other thing too about touring is kind of like you uh, you, you kind of get so used to that rhythm and that lifestyle of like, oh, maybe we, you know, like in, in, in Gaslight's uh, world and, and our world, like, we're lucky now we're kind of like probably on a bus most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. just like you get into a different kind of rhythm where like you still sleep pretty well and you can have dinner uh, and you can have a decent dinner. Cause you have a little bit more money in your pocket than you did back when you were in a van all the time. Um, and that's really nice. But like you start to like, you know, I, I think the shutdown for us happened. We were on the road. Um, we were in, on the West coast uh, in March of 2020 Oh, you were? Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, How did that pan out? Like, uh, oh, it was weird as hell. But yeah. like, um, uh, yeah, we flew home from San Francisco and it was a dead zone in San Francisco airport. It was really Crazy. bizarre. Well, um, do you remember the date? Like you flew back? Uh, yeah, we flew back. Uh, our last show was the day of the NBA shutdown. So the Rudy Gobert day? March the Rudy 11th? Gobert day, yeah, the Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we flew home... Saturday morning. So we were in oh, Eugene, wow. Oregon, and we drove basically to Redding, California, stayed in Redding for a day, basically, to, to like figure out flights and everything. Um, and then, yeah, flew home. We were supposed to play in Sacramento and uh, San Francisco at the end of a tour. We had already been on tour for kind of like a month. Yeah. And those shows were canceled, obviously, and we or, or postponed. I guess technically they're still they still could happen at some point. Yeah, I saw I saw those on your site listed for October. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was there any concern uh at that time if you were even going to be able to like get back? What was it getting to that point yet or it was still the 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 weeks of utter confusion there? Yeah, so we landed basically the day that the federal government of Canada instituted a mandatory 2 week lockdown for all or uh quarantine for all returning travelers oh wow so i I basically got home and just stayed in my apartment for two weeks yeah crazy Mm -hmm. um now what what do you uh like uh, in the pup world how is this being looked at um i mean you managed to put out an ep during this Mm -hmm. um are, are you getting close to doing anything else or do you even want to yet until you're able to make up those shows and stuff like where, I, I where's your all heads at our our process has largely been um 
very kind of like uh just like I don't know. Uh if if we have the opportunity to work, we will take it. Um so we've been trying to write and we we email, you know, we have a Dropbox as I think a lot of bands do that just okay. everybody whenever anybody writes something, they just kind of drop it in there and if we feel comfortable uh hanging out together, um you know, we'll we'll get together and work on some tunes and um, you know, Nestor, our bass player, is a really great and capable recording engineer. So we've been able oh, to kind of nice. turn our our jam space into a demo. It's not like you know we're not going to self release an album or anything. I don't think it sounds that good, but like, um, but to have like capable kind of working Pro Tools demos that we can kind of um just have in the back pocket. Um, even even if we need to go and you know record something in a studio or something, we have a better idea of what the parts were because we're not just relying on room demos, totally. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've just kind of been doing that, you know, slowly, slowly working, working away at stuff and, and kind of trying to not be as, uh, not overbearing, but just kind of like, you know, uh, for a long time, I think our, our process was like, and, and this speaks, I think to getting better as just a band and more capable as a unit. Um, we would take 10, 11, 12 songs, you know, just sort of like knowing that the record was going to be 10, especially on that first mm. record, say. Right. Um, and and like having maybe one or two other songs, but like hammering those 12 songs basically into dust. Yeah. So yeah. that so that we right. were like ready to go, you know. Sure, yeah. You don't want to waste um, time in the studio. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think now we're trying to be a little bit less precious. Okay. okay. And a little bit more just sort of like go, kind of go with the flow. Like if this one is feeling good and we want to keep working on it, that's great. But once we sort of feel like we hit a wall, that's kind of the time to make the first demo. Right. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of like put stuff away for a bit sure. and come back to it three, four, five months later. So it's all a little more open to interpretation. Yeah, you know, and I think that's just made it a lot easier to, especially in this moment where it's just like some days, you know, like we were talking about up and down days. It's like sometimes no matter what I've done, it's a down day, right? Yeah, like, right, sure. And so it's like if we have a rehearsal scheduled and it's a down day, I'm not going to like pull the plug on the rehearsal, but I'm nah. going to just like, maybe I don't have a ton of ideas or maybe I just like, whatever, you know? And, and so it's made it a lot easier to kind of like uncouple this idea of like productivity and self-worth and like, yeah, like value. Sure, 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 um, sure. And I think it's, it's also creating a, a space where like the music that we're writing when we are writing it has somewhere to go. Right, 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 right. So you don't have this like, uh, like steel ceiling on the on the mm-hmm. idea, like it's 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 open as you go into it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of like that's sort of where we've been at, you know. And it's just kind of like, all right, let's just keep writing songs and see what happens. And and yeah. maybe at some point we uh make a record. I don't know. You know what? El- like what else? Yeah, it's what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, like I don't I don't know. Everything is just so strange. Even the stuff that like that has felt normal in the past is just like. Uh, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Have you have you all thought about you know since, like you said, y- you know we don't know exactly what this is all going to look like a year from now and stuff like that. Have you been thinking that this old format we're used to with releasing albums and touring cycles and and doing it kind of rigidly like that? Do you think the future holds some kind of different avenues in that way? I mean. 
I'm sure Spotify is going to try and like bleed us all to death. <laughs> what? But they just <laughs> made their press release. They're paying us yeah. great now. You didn't see? <laughs> <laughs> um, did they actually change something? No, no. They literally, they literally kept everything the same. What they did was they made like some new portal essentially where you can like see how it's monetized a little more clearly. Oh, sure. So, yeah. You know, so like, which I guess is helpful in the the idea that you can use those statistics to help yourself or the analytics yeah. or whatever. But but the they went ahead and and listed how many artists are being paid how much. And like there's all these artists on here who are making this massive amount of money and successfully. And, you know, you know the way it works. There was one statistic about it that stuck out to me, which was they said something like, um, I don't know, like 10,000 artists on there make $50,000 a year plus on streams or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, like that might, like that's a figure you like to throw out as a press release, right? But it's not taken into consideration, A, how many of those artists are not making money off their records. It's the, you know, like they haven't paid it back and those royalties aren't even going to them. You know, it's going to the actual label itself. Or, you know, the fact that if you're in a band with five people, God knows who owns the publishing. And then you start taxing it and breaking it down five different ways and doing stuff like that. Really not a lot of fucking money, you know, well, like especially for somebody to potentially live off of, right? And not not to mention the fact that they haven't shown how much they're paying in in bonuses to corporate executives. Oh, right. Or like or right. you know, where exactly. where's where is the rest of this money going? Like, yeah, where's how, why, the transparency on that side? Yeah. yeah, why why is the transparency about what you're paying artists when everybody knows it's it's pennies on the dollar at not even it's it's micro pennies on the dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I just, I have a friend who's gone all the way, uh, out on digital, like to a point where he's like, is he's like got a new tape deck and got an, uh, like a really good CD player and an, a record player. Oh, okay. Like out, just out. Yeah. He's like out. Um, like it, <laughs> uh, because he was like. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I've all I do. He was like, all I do is save albums, and he he's a musician. Like he was in, you know, bands and still right. is active. So uh, this isn't like a Quaker you met who's just kind of no, a lot, no, no, no. Like, yeah, 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 not yeah. like a luddite or something. Yeah. No, no. And he's like, he made he made a <laughs> he made a really good like point to me where he was like, you know, I listen differently. Mm. Because I have to kind of physically engage with albums and yeah, and yeah. records again, hmm. right? He's like a lot of the old hip hop, and he's a, he's a couple years older than I am. He's kind of in his mid mid thirties, um, late thirties, uh, I think. Um, he was like, you know, a lot of the hip hop that I bought was on cassette. Yeah, me too. And I played it on like a boombox or some you know some sort of tape player. Um, and he's like, and I I just. I listen to it differently yeah. than if I have, you know, everything in my Apple Music or Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, and he was talking even just, even to the point of like, if he buys something now, it's either on Discogs or he's pre-ordering, uh, you know, directly from the artist on Bandcamp or from the label. Even that wait time, that like building of anticipation 
makes him kind of feel a little bit more connected to the record when it shows up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And how that affects listening, I think, is a really interesting sort of thing where it's like, yeah, actually some of these records, you know, I think about this a lot. You know that Wilco record, um, uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, obviously the famous sure. one. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, Wilco did this thing where they repressed a bunch of stuff when vinyl like came all the way back around, you know, <laughs> right. four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, repressed a bunch of of their albums, including Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. But it's like, if you think about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, it doesn't actually make sense on a vinyl record player unless mm. you have um, uh, like two turntables. But even then, you you know, that kind of traditional, like why, continuous music Why doesn't music it make thing. sense? Because the way Jim O'Rourke produced the record yeah. is it, all the songs bleed into another, right? Mm. It's like one kind of continuous thing that has all this like interstitial kind huh. of ambient you know, there's the alarm clock that goes off in one, right, right before I'm trying to break your heart. And like, it all kind of bleeds. There's this really amazing sonic bleed that huh. happens between the, the tracks, which the act of a record, yeah, like flipping a record, that, yeah. it doesn't, right? It breaks the continuity in a way sure. that's sort of like artificial. Um, so that's in, an officially a CD album. In my opinion, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Right? And it's yeah. like there are certain things, it's very like kind of Marshall McLuhan-y, like m- the medium is the message kind of shit. But like, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but truly, like it, it, when you start thinking about it like that, it's like I, I can't even get the fucking liner notes on Apple Music or Spotify. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That right. is a pain. That's so it's like, cool. it's like, do I, like, what, what, other than being able to kind of like sample music, like a buffet, <laughs> right? Like, w- I don't know that any, anything that's being derived, and I'm not saying we're not going to take our music off Spotify. I'm going to stop listening. Like, yeah, right. But like, I don't know, other than convenience, what that is giving me that, records especially as i mean i'm sure we're all record nerds here but like that's the that's the thing for me is like Mm. getting the record and opening it and seeing oh if there's a color vinyl variant what is the color vinyl like what are the liner notes all about where was the studio recorded who played on this record yeah yeah like it's all getting lost in a way isn't it yeah like i'm appreciating the the album artwork on a you know on a big square thing like yeah yeah sure I don't know. And this is maybe niche stuff that people maybe don't care about, but this is like, this is why I got into making music and wanting to make records in the first place. Yeah. And so I don't want that to be just thrown away for the sake of convenience. Yeah. It's funny you say that because the other day I pulled out, I found this old chest I hadn't seen in ages and I found just a bevy of flyers and zines from from the mid nineties when I was, you know, the most into it, when there was Mm -hmm. like not a time I was, you know, more focused on, on the uh, subculture I was into. And I pulled out a random zine and I literally, it wasn't a big zine. I don't even know if they ever made another issue. I had this one copy and I opened it and I'm like, holy fuck, I know this zine cover to cover. I remember every article. I remember like the reviews, the ads. Still, like, still to this day. Yeah, like like I opened it. I was like, oh yeah, this zine that I looked at a thousand fucking times, and it's so random. Like, and I'm even thinking in my head, I'm like, it's amazing to me that this random relic 
that I just found in my chest could have shaped my politics in a way, you know, could have shaped my music taste, like all these different things. And, uh, you know, so many people probably have the same feeling with albums and certain albums that they got first and the, you know, the way it, the way it feels, the way it looks, you know, the, everything about it, there's sort of a sensory experience that you can get back to what, like, what is that sensory experience for kids now? Like, like they must have, you know, when they hear the new Post Malone and they have this like amazing emotional reaction to the music, which I'm sure they still do. What is their flashbulb point? Is it, is it the screen? Is it like where you are, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, it could be TikTok. <laughs> right. Like I'm only, I'm, I'm only kind of half like cynical when I say that, uh, yeah, I'm no. not, I'm not on TikTok, but, uh, which is probably a professional disservice to myself, but I like, yeah, I can't, I <laughs> can't, I, after 13 months of being online, I, I don't even want to like tweet about sports. And that's the, that's the reason I was on Twitter in the first place. Yeah, we quickly discussed what, what kind of a hellscape Twitter is when we were yeah, setting this um, interview up. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think this is all, to tie it back, I mean, it's like, are things going to be the same? Like, yeah, probably. Ish. The, like, like Ish. The, 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 there's been no indication whatsoever on a, like a macro or micro level of like the music industry or general, like how we live in the West mm. to, to suggest that anything is going to change in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, Cause if it had, or if that indication was there, you'd think that m- millions of death, millions of deaths being witnessed across the world in a highly contagious respiratory illness would be the thing to make us think a little bit differently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I, I like, again, I don't mean to get back to this, but like, I, I don't see it. Like there are people in Toronto living in tents in parks who are being evicted by the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there are people in the United States who were begging for stimulus checks that have just been reduced to even less money. Mm-hmm. And all they want to do is put food on their table. So, you know, like no one's, uh, you know, the, the writer Joan Didion talks about magical thinking. Right. Um, and we haven't shown a lot of that. That's true. I mean, to to think of it, I, I think you're right. On Like, as you said, on the macro level, if you just see these actual tangible things playing out. But I think on a micro level, things are happening that will play out substantially in the long term, especially like with kids, you know, like I, um, hope, I hope so. Like yeah. we're adults and we dealt with this in a different way, you know, Um but the idea that a, a generation of kids just spent a year isolated and in masks, um, which is so antithetical to anything a kid wants to be doing. Uh, the idea that like 
you know, we, we may not get a generation of people who think about things a different way, care about things differently. Fuck, we might get thousands and thousands of new epidemiologists and scientists because literally, I mean, the same people who are screaming anti-science for years and years are begging for a scientific marvel to inject in themselves to live normally again. Like, they have to see that. People aren't that mm. dumb, you know? I, I, know. I hope so. I hope so. I'm, <laughs> at, at, I'm least not, some. Yeah. at least some, you know? Like, like, <laughs> like we're not going to get them all. And, no. and if there's anything, like, I've learned about, you know, humanity in the world, things, they change slowly. They change over generations and they change over time. So I, I do think something had to happen. We're all just we're all just too close to see, you know. I I hope you're right. Let's let's keep it there. Let's keep it with that. <laughs> and what we're also going to do here, Steve? Okay, we've been pretty serious. Yeah, sorry. No, no, this is going <laughs> off track. Listen, sometimes I wind up on the couch. Sometimes you wind up on the couch. You know, this is just how it goes down. Remember, I just heard something in in reference to what you talked about seeing, um, you know, seeing a, a head doctor now, which I heard something recently, which is like, there are no bad thoughts. You know, there's nothing that can come into your brain that you should pine over, feel bad about. What you should do is love it to death. Oh, interesting. And, and I, think, I think that's the way we got to go into this. Speaking of having some fun, this is the time in the program where we do Mystery Friend. <laughs> So basically the point of this game is is I heard a funny story, an interesting story from one of your friends. Uh, I'd like oh, you to no. tell me about this story. No, this one's not embarrassing. It's great. Um, some of them are. You got away with it. Uh, and you need to tell me about this story, what happened, and then guess which of your mystery friends told me. Okay. So this one is about you having a day off in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh-huh. Being offered tickets to see a AAA team, but ending up convincing your band to go to the Louisville Slugger Museum, and a, and <laughs> and a and a and apparently an evening ensued. So I'd like this entire story from from daytime to nighttime, please. Right. Yes. Okay. So it was our first time in in Louisville. Okay. Uh, you said it very correctly. Wow. Thank you. Um, and. Uh, we had been, uh, someone had reached out, um, to the band over email, um, who actually was a Discogs employee, it turned out, uh, which was a weird thing. Yeah. I was like, that's the nerdiest, <laughs> right. most yeah. on brand. <laughs> I like, didn't know there was yeah. such thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, I guess his other job, uh, to make money, uh, <laughs> right. was, uh, um, he worked for the city of Louisville and at the time I, the city of Louisville was trying to connect with people like pup, um, who were like coming through town, either, you know, visiting, uh, like, like musicians or artists or lecturer, you know, just whatever general kind of like cultural industry type stuff. Um, um, and they were like, what we want you to do is, um, Stay at a at a lovely hotel in downtown Louisville Great. on us. Ooh, okay. Um, and 
explore the town and just document it on social media. We don't need, oh. we don't ask for you to do, it's not like weird influencer stuff. I guess it is technically, but like, but it wasn't a like, you need to do this and go to these places. They were just like, we want you to do whatever you feel like doing in the city. Right. And just it's post like, about that. It's like when they give you a free hat at a festival or something. Yeah. 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 And right. so we did. Um, and so we walked around, you know, we went to like, we checked out some of the bourbon places Nice. and, uh, um, what else did we do? We, yeah, we went to the, I think the bats, the Louisville bats weren't actually playing that day. I think it's the thing. So we, we went to against the grain brewing, which is in the like stadium that, which oh, is cool. downtown. So we went right, there right. And, and had some beers and like, you know, had some restaurant and then like, there's a statue of Muhammad Ali, obviously, cause he's from there. Um, uh, and just kind of walked around and, and, and checked it out, you know, and it's a, it's a fun, I, I really do believe I'm not, I didn't just get, you know, uh, brainwashed by this social media campaign, but I do actually think that Louisville is like one of the one of the cooler kind of mid-sized American cities. Um, wow, that really worked. Yeah, it did work. If anyone's uh, running a city here, yeah, yeah. check it out. <laughs> um, but so, okay, so we 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 hang out that day, which is like an off day before the show in Louisville, and uh, we wake up the next day, and my dad is a big baseball guy. Um, uh, you know, he's, he, he kind of, as I said early in, in the pod, he's a sports guy. Joe Carter fan. <laughs> yeah. Big time. I was like, oh, I want to go and get, uh, a t-shirt. We were like right around the corner from the little, like a block from the museum. Cool. Um, from the Slugger Museum. And, and so I was like, I'm going to go get him a t-shirt. Uh, and so, you know, my bandmates are like, ah, whatever, we'll come with you. Uh, and just all kind of walking around and. <laughs> we are walking into the slugger museum for me to just go into the gift shop and uh a man walks out uh and zach our drummer goes that's chad smith <laughs> <laughs> and we were like shut the fuck up man drummer like, you're still- from the red hot chili peppers yeah, yeah, yeah. For like, for anyone like, who doesn't know. You're like, no, you're still drunk. Like <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. that's not that's not what happened. Because he can pose as a norm for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, No, it was fucking Chad Smith. <laughs> uh and so we I go and I buy the t-shirt and and they're kind of all milling around outside. There's a big bat, you know, out front of the museum. Right, yeah, so yeah. T- we take the requisite photo in front of the bat. Um uh, and, and as it turns out, uh, you know, whatever our show day is, is the Red Hot Chili Peppers off day <laughs> prior to, uh, show at the KFC Yum Center, the arena in, in downtown Louisville. It's really, oh my God. It's really called the KFC Yum Center? It sure is. Yeah. Oh, yum, yum brands, sake. you know, oh, it's, yikes. um, um, okay. KFC Yum uh, you know, uh, and so uh, we go, okay, it was Chad Smith. That's fine. Um, why don't we tweet at him from the band account right? and yeah. say, Hey, we're playing tonight. Why don't you come to the show? Perfect. So we do that and we hear no response. So we don't kind of put it out of our minds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not only that, uh, we also forget to put him on the guest list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he shows up. Whoa. Uh, never. Wait. So he never responded to the tweet and showed up. 
Yeah, he just shows up. Wow, that's baller. I like uh, that. And he yeah. shows up with a backwards UCLA hat. Of course. Yeah. And, a, and a leather coat. Um, uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, with uh, just some dude, you know. I guess he has like a a, a handler or whatever. Or okay. just like, some, you know, they're, they're, someone in the crew. He shows up with someone in the crew. His buddy on the payroll. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and... He walks up to the door and is like, hey, I'm Chad Smith. The band said that I would be on the list. And the person working the door is like, well, you're not, but you're oh, Chad Smith. No. So come on. Like, yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I sort, of, I sort of caught him. You know, he was kind of standing at the back and he turned down a couple. Like, people kind of obviously, you don't, you're in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, you're a recognizable guy, yeah, especially at sure. a rock gig. Uh, and he turned down a bunch of photos from people in the crowd, which I thought was actually super classy. Um, uh, and at the end of the gig, uh, he walked up to Dan Case, uh, who is our tour manager, but at the time was just kind of doing merch and was sort of our Swiss Army Knife guy. Right. Um, and who I think maybe could be one of the candidates to have told you this story. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, and it was like, hey, I, I, I that was a great set. I'd, re- I'd really like to meet the band. Is it, is it, is it possible if, if I could come backstage? Wow! And, Dan, and okay. Dan's like, yes, Chad Smith. <laughs> like you, you certainly can come backstage. Uh, and I'm uh, impressed with the way Chad Smith is handling himself. Yeah, yeah, story. he's doing very I, yeah. well. He's super doing well. low yeah. key. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the the green room we were playing Zanzibar in Louisville. Okay, and and the green room. Um, was uh, across the street from the venue because it's like an old venue, you know. Uh, I guess they had like a storage kind of space across the street. Okay. Um, and the storage space, uh, we found out, was because uh, the dude who owned the bar was like a maniacal pinball collector. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And so it was basically like a pinball graveyard. Whoa. So none of these machines were plugged in. It's just like he owned a bunch of them and would rotate some of them in and out of the bar. Some needed wow. to be repaired. That's some like creepy, like Scooby-Doo scenario. Totally. Like. <laughs> but then there was like a little like green room, right? There was like <laughs> right. a bathroom and like a bunch of chairs and like whatever. Okay, okay. Um, uh, and so we're kind of sitting back there all kind of sweaty and just sort of, you know, coming yeah. down from the show. Um, and Chad Smith pops in. And he's just like, he's like, hey, can I have a beer? And we're like, yeah, man. Yes, you can have a beer. Uh, uh, And um, so he like sits down on the couch and cracks a beer and like starts smoking. And we're like, yep, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, And just starts telling stories. Oh, really? Was just like talking to us about everything and touring and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then just like start, like we're like, have a bunch of beers and he's just like, yeah, he starts telling stories. So he tells us about how he was like a young guy in Detroit and had played with everyone in Detroit, kind of like Motown session dudes and rock bands and done everything kind of, you know, met some of the stooges, uh, and was like, I I was going to move to New York or LA. Um, and he was like, and I didn't want to deal with the snow anymore. So I moved to LA. And then he's like, within six months of being in LA, I was in the Chili Peppers. Wow. Um, you know, so he's like, he's like telling us those sorts of stories. Holy shit. Um, cool. Which was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, and then the promoter comes in and is like, oh, uh, how's everyone doing? Do you guys right. need what's like? And Chad's like, yeah, we need another case of beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so another case of beer. Uh, and we were with Prawn. 
from, oh, yeah. from from New Jersey. So that, yep. that would be the other uh, band that, or the other group of people mm-hmm. that I thought maybe told you this story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because what ends up happening is we obviously get fucking hammered. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and find out that... Um, the Chili Peppers are staying at the same hotel that the city of Louisville's put us up at. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and Prawn, Prawn are staying somewhere else. Like they didn't, obviously they didn't put up our touring mates, unfortunately. That's right. just not how shit yeah. like that works. Um, Sweet. City of Louisville, classist. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, they go out f- like we all kind of drive back downtown and they go out for this late night pizza at a place kind of near the hotel. And we've all like, I think we, there was a 24 hour steam room. So we're all just hammered in the steam room at like two in the morning. <laughs> yes. But prawn carried on to get some late night pizza. Um, there was a designated driver. Don't drink right. and drive. Okay. Um, and Chad Smith walked into the pizza joint yes. after we had just gotten hammered with him backstage with Prawn. And then there's like a photo of one of the dudes from Prawn with like Chad Smith, right. like fully like piggyback on his <laughs> back. <laughs> um, and then there's a photo of all of us backstage. We like gave him a record and the whole thing. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, I know that it happened. <laughs> right. But it still doesn't feel... Re- even telling the story as many times as I have and t- to retell it just now, it's like, I, that all happened. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is yeah. demonstrably true. Everything about it, yeah. Um, And it still does not feel real. It's so funny, man. Um, and then the punchline is that it was actually Will Ferrell, right? <laughs> right. <the whole> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you he would... Will Ferrell probably would not have been that cool. Yeah. Do you remember like the wildest the wildest yarn he spun you through the night of drinking? No, just the I I, I just remember the like origin story for him yeah, of like yeah. that that like tra- like being like being like a uh, oh he doesn't play with a metronome. Oh, okay. He's wow. just like a he's a rock. That's actually pretty remarkable to hear. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty solid guy. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Now the other members of Chili Peppers never never came out. Nothing. I, that, well, I have to guess. I'm just going to go ahead and field a guess here that the majority of the guys from Pup were probably not into the Chili Peppers before this night. Is that true? I think I think the Chili Peppers are one of those bands that it's like ubiquitous. You know, they're just like, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, right. And and like I owned Californication on CD. And sure. I think I had blood sugar, sex magic, and by the way, uh, I I think John Frusciante still to still is kind of like uh, has shown like a really interesting way to kind of treat harmony in mm. like pop pop rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So no, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't I wouldn't say we uh like you know they're a band that we uh go back to as like a source of inspiration. Right, but uh, but like, you know, I think I think a lot of the time with anything that that is that huge, it's like it's probably not as good as the people who are most obsessed with it say, and also not as bad as like the biggest hater. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, that's it's true. like that band brings a lot of people joy and a lot of people sure. like love that band. And, and I don't think that's like a problem, especially when there's like, I don't know, there are like actual guitar solos in that band that are yeah. like interesting. And there's, you know, like there's like a respect for, frankly, I think for black music in the yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers that uh, a lot of rock bands would do well to uh, uh, prioritize. Mm, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I think Pup could stand for a little bit of funk, funk core <laughs> in the new stuff, personally. Just like know. the new record has to sound like I Like Dirt. Like the <laughs> Listen, I mean, I was going to say, so I mean, the new, the new EP, like I said, this place sucks ass. It's really good. But it does feel like kind of the darkest and heaviest maybe of the the pup stuff. But speaking of guitar and like John Frusciante, the thing I noticed on your new EP was um, like you got fuzzy. Yeah. And especially on that song AM 180. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm hearing a real like Bob Mould, Pixies kind of thing at work. And I was wondering how in- intentional that was and what kind of like stylistically like where you're where you're looking to in the future yeah you know um i've always been a kind of like i've been endlessly kind of captivated by um like downtown new york Hmm. and and kind of downtown new york music interesting um because i i think like you know whether that be cbgb or like the kitchen or a lot of these kind of like mythical places in the 80s 70s and 80s um that kind of you, you you couldn't you almost couldn't survive being just one type of genre right um and a lot of the people who would like you know go make like weirdo noise music or like improvise music and then the next night would be playing with a punk band mm. or you know a band like television which yeah, is like kind of like say, jazzy right. sure um a lot of stuff like that has really kind of driven me um, you know, or a guy like Mark Rubeau who like played with a lot of those bands and kind of came up in that world, but then also is like a session musician who's played with Robert Plant. Right. You know, he right, played right. on that Robert Robert Plant and Alison Krauss record and he played with the, he's like done session work for the Black Keys and huh. played with Tom Waits. And so it's like, to me, that kind of like, and then there's like, you know, uh, uh, some of those guys also play with Mike Patton, right? And it's like Mike Patton was in fucking Mr. Bungle and like yeah, right. and like and and like it is like kind of a metal, like a weirdo metal guy. Yeah, sure. And so it's like to me a lot of it is just sort of like, you know, it's eighth notes is kind of the common rhythmic language and mm-hmm. like dynamic control. And so I think a lot about kind of like fuzz as another way of like dynamic control. It's like Mm. you can be really loud or noisy and way out there um, and heavy. Right. While still kind of maintaining this ability to attack things in a more kind of, you know, um, angular kind of like Mm. like punchy way that doesn't, you know, you don't, I don't want to get, trapped in any space for too long is my thing with, sure. with with genre and with guitar playing so i'm like it's also another reason why sometimes i'm just like i don't need to play lead lines right, 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 right. you know like like and i think i think or like 
you know, one of the things that I love to do is kind of like take like this is sort of this punky sounding kind of power chord riff. What if I play it like, you know, and I think this is this is the influence of television, like it's kind of like an up on the neck sort of jazzy, like in the kind of mm. mid and high range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still the same thing. It kind of moves all as one, but it's got this weird sort of like almost like kind of piano, like left hand is one guitar, right hand is another guitar, and they're kind of working together and doing Interesting. the thing. Interesting, yeah. Um, and, you know, that that also that also allows for a little bit more kind of space and then it's like and then it's so much more powerful when you do want to be like all right fuck you like we're di- we're digging in and it's going to sound like metal and it just sounds even yeah. heavier yeah because right when you when you focus that energy there and and it's like it's really kind of impactful but you don't have to live there the whole time yeah it's funny you say that because is there a formula for you because now that you're mentioning that you know i'm thinking about pup records and the idea that, you know, there are some songs where your lead, you know, is exceptionally bright and is probably the thing maybe melodically carrying the song the most. But if I had heard like 12 of them in a row, the, f- you know, the first three wouldn't be as effective. So is is there like a formula in your head of like how many you want to be up front and leady for and how many you want to pull back on? I think I think a big thing, especially in a band that's that's sort of like built on like guitar rock. Mm. Um, you know, there's like two guitar players, a bass player, and a drummer. It's not right. like a, it's not an expansive band. There's not <laughs> really much in the way of keyboards. Like we, you know, Zach has a sample pad that he'll trigger some like samples, like kind of in the air, but it's not like to a metronome or anything. Right. Right. Um, you know, I think because of that, you you have to be as open in my position as kind of like the quote unquote lead guitar player um, to also be an accompanist when that's what the song demands. Really, right. that's the only thing is like kind of like, you know, picking and choosing your spots based on how the song presents those spots in the first place. Right. right is right. kind of like... To me, that's the only way I've ever been able to play. And and like sometimes that's that means I'm playing chords. Sometimes it means I'm like it's two guitars playing exactly the same thing. Sometimes it's two guitars playing like these weird lines where neither of us is really playing the chords. You know, it's like there's so many variations, you know, one guitar going down the neck, one guitar going up the neck, you get that kind of contrary thing going on. Um yeah, and I just I, I think it it makes you know we were talking about records and listening, and I think that's sort of a natural way to develop pacing on mm, a record, right? And yeah. and and to, so that it kind of has sort of breath in a way that you don't have to rely on production or like studio magic, and sure. and then in a way, production and studio magic becomes like another instrument. Right, right. Just to get right, more like, dynamic to it, yeah. Exactly. Like I don't I like I I'm not also not the type to be like it has to be perfect without any engineer. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, like yeah. cuz that's that's ridiculous too. Like I love electronic music. I love um I love fucking Radiohead. Like yeah, you know, sure. it's like I, I which is obvious. I'm a white guy who plays the guitar. Of course I like Radiohead. <laughs> but like uh <laughs> but you know like Brad's probably sitting there like I don't fucking like Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, you know, but it's like, I think, I think so much, there's so much that can be done just in, 
general approach to a song and and kind of negotiating space in that way um that like you that then you know then when you, you you're being intentional being like yes here is a like a lead riff because yeah. it needs to be there right 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 so you seemingly just go into every song open and maybe uh maybe the band itself dictates all that movement well it's great because i think if you guys were really pushing one particular thing album to album it would be a lot staler and i i honestly never really know what I'm getting into when I turn on a new pup song. So you are successfully uh, doing it there. For oh, sure. thanks man. No, yeah. No I appreciate that. That's a, that's really a, a quite a, quite a high compliment. Uh, speaking of which, uh, especially with the, you know, the rhythms and how there's kind of a, uh, a constant yearning f- to get out of a four, four time sometimes in pup. I'd like to have a little Zach appreciation segment. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Because, so he's one of those tricky drummers to me. Now, the way I appreciate music and drums, if I fall in love with a record, I learn it on drums. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really, I've always been into you guys, but I really fell in love with morbid stuff. And, you know, I initially went downstairs to, I'm like, all right, I'm really into these songs. Now I got the grooves. Like, let's go jam them out. And every single one, I'm like a minute and a half through, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm doing this all wrong. Like, this is weird. Like, and he's one of those drummers, not to compare the two, because stylistically they're not the same, but I find Ringo Starr the same way, where you think you're going into a Beatles song, you're like, oh, I'm just going to like, I'm going to take a cruise through a Beatles song right now. Oh, yeah. you know, it's going to be luck. easy. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, what? What the fuck is he actually doing? Like, this is kind of weird, you know? And it's like, just the way he plays sets like a different style. And I I think Zach does that. Like, when I try to learn those songs, I'm like, oh, okay, he's really thinking about very particular weird stuff in each of these and executing it. And like, like this isn't a mess. Like, he's doing this on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Am am I right in assuming that? No, you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, you know... I think we all, um, if there's one kind of unifying skill that all the members of the band have, it's overthinking <laughs> our approach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you need I, unity somewhere, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. I think I think that has led to you know one of the things that um, helps with with getting into a studio and having a producer is, is sort of helping to clarify those things. But, but, you know, uh, he's like such a musical drummer. Mm. And, and I think that is a similar thing to Ringo. I think that's the thing people think that because it's simple, but it's like music can be simple, right? Like musical drumming can, especially can often feel simple. And then you're like, how, you know how how do you actually do that? I don't know. The drums That's are right. hard. I call uh, them I call them drum riffs. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. You know, and Zach has a lot of feel, and we play yeah. to a metronome a lot. And um. You know, a big thing is like Stefan will come in with this weird melody or this weird riff. You know, or Nestor will have this this weird thing. You know, and rather than try and jam it into a box of four, four, we'll just sort of like feel it at, you know, I, I think of like, 
songs and and melodies and and you know chord progressions and all these these things kind of have their own sort of weird uh internal logic mm. that like you don't want to try and chop up that logic initially you want right, to just kind of right. let it just and so sometimes that means oh you've written this weird compound meter thing that's in like 15 8 and <laughs> and the and the breakdown is you know 3 3 3 uh 2 <laughs> Right, like three, yeah, whatever. Right, right. right. Um, and, and okay, all right, we're gonna just feel it that way, and then if we need to kind of smooth things out or make changes or add beats here or there, we can do that too. Um, you know, or like, yeah, like you know, and and just kind of having having that attitude of just sort of like approaching. You know, I think it speaks to kind of what I was describing earlier too. But we all just sort of are like. Here are the melodies that we're working with. Here, here are some of the, you know, the the kind of what is the internal logic of this song that we have to kind of follow at least to start, mm. in order to understand what's going on and then deconstruct it or like and then rebuild it if we need to. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Now, say you're on like a pub van tour. Okay. As you said, you've you've moved up to the bus in some places. I'm sure you still get in the van from time to time. Europe, um, yeah. Yeah. So what what would be uh the most common playlist for each member of the band? Oh, uh we definitely have gotten into the like everyone's got headphones in just so they <laughs> right. can like they can chill. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um no, well, you know what we try and do if it, often it'll be for the two people in the front. Right. Um and, So say say each member is driving. Yeah. What what are you going to hear out of the speaker most commonly? We generally what we try and do is uh listen to stuff that is kind of new and, and like recently released uh or that our friends have put out that we maybe haven't had a chance to listen to as in depth. So you guys actually communally choose what goes on the main stereo? Yeah, so it'll be it'll, oh my well, God. it'll be Canadians like, are just remarkable it, people. It'll be like, <laughs> really are. It'll be like, have you heard this record yet? Right. You know, so often if I'm, I was, I was one of the the main shotgun guys because I can just stay awake. I'm, you know, I'm six three, so it's it's in the van especially. It's yeah, harder that's one to, of the better spots. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I'd be like, hey, have you heard this record? Uh, right. You know, and if Nestor or someone is driving, uh, he'd be like, no, I'll throw it on. Let's check it out. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's an American band who doesn't have the fuck you. I'm driving. <laughs> thing. Like, well, uh, <laughs> the driver always has veto in right, our veto in power. Our, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like if if we put on a record and it sucks, or it's just not the vibe for driving. You know, some records are great, but they're just not driving records. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so that it it gets overruled and has to be changed quickly. It's still, I'm still impressed. <laughs> I'm still impressed. <laughs> um, all right. So this is where I want Brad to sit out for a minute because. <laughs> I, I uniquely am getting to talk to somebody who's been involved in punk rock and being a musician, but a big time sports fan as well. I, I'm not going to get into like, you know, the Raptors losing record right now and stuff like that. Um, we are going to have a Raptors segment later for fun. Okay. But the thing I'm interested in is, is, is two things basically with like the sociology of someone like us going into musician. One is I want you to tell me if, if you think there's a sociological connection 
between indie rock musicians and baseball because it seems like there is, and I don't know why they're so attracted to it. Okay. And the other thing that I have an issue with is like, as someone with punk values for, for various aspects of your life, how do you reconcile like the corporate nature of sports and like Mm -hmm. the absurd money schemes with owners and cities and stadiums and, you know, the types of things that are sort of, you know, maybe against punk values. It's like, uh, it's almost like the only corporate thing that certain punks like allow themselves to have. And like, Mm -hmm. do you ever have like an issue reconciling that too? Uh, more recently, yes, but I'll, 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 I'll go with the first question. It's kind of a two-parter. It's a two-parter. Yeah. Um, the baseball and, and indie rock thing, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why it is. Um, I, I, I grew up playing baseball, so it's always kind of been in the background. Okay. Um, I played pretty competitively until I was about 18. Oh, okay. Six um, three. What are you pitcher? I yeah, and first base. Okay. Uh, See, so having a nice rangy swing. Yeah, yeah, j- <laughs> just shitty Joey Votto. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's worse things to be. Yeah, it's yeah, a great ball player. Um, All right. So um, you had you had a high OPP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not okay. a power guy. I was a, like work the walk, hit a single, hit doubles. Sure, sure. A John um, Olrude. Yeah, he was my that was my favorite player. Oh, perfect. Um uh Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a like you know, there's a masochistic element to being a baseball fan cuz mm. it's 162 games and Right. I think if you want to get into uh being in a rock band, you're kind of a masochist as well. Huh. Yeah. Um, because That's of the demands that it makes on your life. Sure. That could be that could be part of it. Yeah. Like it's hard work to be a baseball fan. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, you know, it's th- it's not a sh- like uh, 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 a Blue Jays writer that I know was marveling at the uh, game on Sunday afternoon because it was under three hours, oh, <laughs> which right. I think is a perfect kind <laughs> yeah. of. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so we um, like so we like pain. I, I don't we? I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah like I think like so. tu- touring is is great and I think especially now I I will never uh take it not that I took it for granted before but uh I will certainly never take it for granted moving forward. Um um but it is extremely difficult in a way that is hard to explain Yeah. to, and you know, when I'm at my, if my folks are having a Christmas party and I'm there and they have a bunch of their friends over and their friends are like, so what do you do? (laughs) And you're like, well, I'm in a band. And immediately they think you're like fucking in Led Zeppelin. Oh, I get the opposite. Anytime I tell someone like that I'm in a band, their first instinct is, oh, have you ever played McSorley's over on 4th and Main? <laughs> like, I know, like, that's always. Oh, that's I'm, awesome. That's almost always what I get. I guess because I look like shit. They're just like, oh, he's a musician. He needs <laughs> yeah. help, you know? <laughs> they think you're in Led Zeppelin, but you're much yeah. more handsome than me. Well, it, it's, 
Am I, I just mean more like they think they think like oh it's like it's like the glorification of like all of the kind of pitfalls that actually if you like <laughs> right. if you like fell into any of those like uh like 70s glorification 60s and 70s glorification yeah, right, of like right. substance abuse you actually wouldn't be able to tour at this point the valhalla of decadence yeah yeah um <laughs> and you're just like actually no i'm fucking profoundly boring like <laughs> right, right. like <laughs> um uh so you know uh it's hard to explain how difficult it can be yeah uh just from a a kind of uh, psychological and sort of physiological demand. Sure. Um, I mean, that so, is interesting to say, right? Because if you're, if you play a full season of baseball and you do spring training, say your team gets into deep into the playoffs or something, you would be traveling and engaged with the team for like, what, 250 days of the year, maybe? Yeah. You know, pushing on that, and I've done that tour. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've done, I've done day, you know, years like that. So maybe baseball players are uh, some of the only people out there who who understand the slog. But they get three nights in one city. Easy. They do. Yeah. Know? I mean, you know, that's probably the way that it should be for yes. bands too. Yes. But that's a, and you know, moving forward, maybe that's a way that things look different. But that's I think that is you know, one of the tangible things that's definitely going to change after this for sure. L- look at how bands used to do it. Uh, if you were in a in a in a traveling Motown band or in a traveling right, right, you know, right, they had Little large mini residencies. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, it would make sense, right? Even safety wise, like. You Certainly. Think that might be one of the changes that's coming. I hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it, but the idea that, you know, rather than during the tour cycle, we're going to come to this town three times, maybe we just stay for four days once mm-hmm. and just, you know, make sure we sell all, take anybody who wants to see us, sees us. And then this is the one time we're here on this touring cycle. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly could uh, help to reduce the environmental footprint. But yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, and so the second part, I mean, you know, I think, I think at some point, any, any preconceived ideas that I had about sports representing my politics, mm. uh, has just completely gone up in smoke right, uh, right, right now. Right. And that is, and to me is an indictment of all of them. Uh, uh, the NBA, baseball. I don't really care about football, but you know, I mean, the the there were people at the Super Bowl. It's all this, you know, yeah. all of this. It, you know, the NCAA, which just finished last night. Yeah. Um. Uh. The NHL. Look at what's happening in Vancouver right now. What's um, happening? What's happening there? They have sixteen of twenty-two players COVID positive. Oh Jesus! Wow. Um, so you mean like this year, just as in how, how transparent it's become that it's, it's about profit. Yeah. Right. And I don't think, I don't think, I think the thing that I'm starting to realize is that sort of the, the games, the game of basketball, the game of baseball, um, and the, the commitment that the, the people playing the game have shown to the game and to themselves and the work that they've put in 
uh, and the sacrifices that they've made to be able to like compete and execute on that level. That's something that I appreciate and will always appreciate. But that's labor. You're, you know, if you want to yeah. make it political, that's I'm appreciating labor and work right. and workers. Sure, I'm not appreciating ownership, right? And and the you know marketing and advertising and capital that's being generated unduly in terms of of you know I think it's a great entry into labor politics um, to consider what is actually going on hmm. between athletes and owners. Right, 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 right. Uh, it's very, you know, to take a Marxist critique is very easy in that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it shows you also how little people making real money and and people kind of with controlling interest in something like the NBA actually care about <laughs> safety yeah. or frankly maybe social change right uh, I, yeah. I don't know that i would be going that far but you know like uh there's a limit i guess is is sort of where i've landed with it about uh what interests are actually being represented on a day-to-day basis by uh the nba mm. and that's not to suggest that the players um can even necessarily control that. No. They they have a union that allows them to negotiate uh, work conditions that they feel safe about, but that still hasn't stopped them from getting COVID. Right, yeah. Well, um, or specifically, like you said, the NCAA. I mean, that's, yeah. you're literally taking, you know, free labor and putting it at risk yeah. for what you're talking about. I don't think anything's been more transparent than that, right? No, of course. Um, but you know, I still that that all that to say, I still really do. I mean, I just live sports is one of the, I think one of the great kind of joys that we have. Mm. Um, and I don't think that that is to me that is not something that um. I'm willing to give up just because the forces of like kind of capital moving around it are right. horrible. I mean, the forces of capital moving around music are just as bad. Yeah, that's what I mean. If if you'd make the same decision buying, you know, buying any, you know, uh major label record, um, you know, going to a festival, going to a live nation venue, like it's it's almost impossible to avoid as a music fan at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's we live in a it, Dystopian capitalist hellscape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just what it is, right? (laughs) Yes. All right. So to take it back, you know what we did? We never wrapped up our mystery friend. Yeah, I don't know who I I, I said. Maybe Dan. Uh huh. I don't know if you know Dan. No. Oh, I think I know who it was. Okay. Okay. It it was Ian Perkins, wasn't it? (gasps) It wasn't. It wasn't. I was going to uh, hit up Ian, and I thought that would be too obvious. Uh, do I get to, like, ask some, like... No, nah, I'll, I'll say... <laughs> you already said the name. It was Dan. It was Dan. All so right. Amazing. I, and, and to be clear, I had to do a little work. I actually uh, hit up Tom May. Okay. From the Menzingers. Absolutely. A for, gem of a human being. Beautiful human. Maybe from another planet. I'm still to be determined. Uh and he's a weird the thing one. to say about Scranton, but okay. 
<laughs> no, I'm sorry. I meant Philly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, and he's like, listen, I got a couple ideas, but I think you should talk to their tour manager, Dan. So he connected me with Dan. Dan very nicely wrote me an email with this great story. So it was your tour manager, Dan Case. But the one thing Tom did let me in on that I thought was oh, interesting no. <laughs> was something called the odds game. Can you tell me what the odds game is? Oh yeah, yeah. It's I have to, I'm, I might be a, a little bit unclear on the rules, but but this is a game that Tom and the you know the Menzingers are are some of our closest and oldest kind of touring friends. It would be like you would get odds for two scenarios, okay, and you would have to take you would have to take one or the other depending on which one you thought was more likely, and then someone it would be like whether someone else i can't remember exactly but it involved having to do something embarrassing if you got the odds yeah i heard you lost to uh nick once and had to give every band member a different set list (laughs) oh yeah are you the set list writer for pup i'm not this is the this is the thing uh yeah, yeah, that was a game that they loved to play on tour. <laughs> uh, wow, I haven't thought about that in. An- yeah, so he tell you they like to play the odds game. I forget the rules, but basically, it's like a dare game with high stakes. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember if if the Menzingers introduced that or somebody else. Oh, I haven't <laughs> thought about that in such a long well, time. Well, sounds wow. like something you should bring back when you get touring again, because seems like a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, really. But uh, Steve. I've had you for a long time, even though we didn't do my Toronto's Raptors section here. It was uh, really nice to talk to you. Thanks for talking to us for like 90 minutes on the Tuesday morning. You're great. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Raptors, uh, it's it. nothing matters because flags fly forever. <laughs> Well, thanks to Steve Klauski for doing that amazing interview for 90 minutes. Uh, so good, yeah. I, I love that band. And um, Fully support. Uh, I want to listen to everything they do. I'm excited to see what's coming next for the pups. Yeah. Man, I love that story about Chad Smith. I've spent a few nights elbow to elbow with that guy. Oh, uh, you have? Yeah, he always comes into... Are used to. I mean, Jesus, we're talking like 16 years ago now. But like he used to, he would always come into Niagara when he was in town. And oh, okay. At that point, there was sort of a VIP area where. How is it possible to have a VIP section in Niagara? It was like 12 square feet. There, yeah. Well, they had a downstairs that was closed. Right. There was an area of the downstairs that wasn't open. And then when they actually opened it, they made it into a, a super exclusive hidden club that you had to go in through the pizza place. And go like what looked like a closet door mm. with a big dude standing in front of it. <laughs> wow, that's old school, is it? But yeah, I think when I first met him down there, I think it was still just like a back room for people like him. He was cool though. Yeah, yeah. you know what I think it is? It's like, you know, we've been running into some, you know, one of the most fascinating things about doing a podcast for me is like collecting anthropological data. You know, like I get to talk to like all these people from different backgrounds, from different places. And even though they all wound up in some form of entertainment or music, because that's why we have them on, what brought them there is so significantly different. And 
you know, obviously we've seen the theme in Canadians being <laughs> one of like, besides for people from Arizona randomly, being like the only groups that can somehow keep this like democratic consensus. So when I asked that question about like what everyone's listening to in the van and Steve's like, yeah, you know, we kind of like decide together. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Not in my band. <laughs> Not in my fucking band. Yo, I sit in the driver's seat. I'm just like, yo, fuck you. I got to drive. Like whatever I feel like. I'll watch an episode of 30 Rock and like not even fucking watch it. Just listen to it and annoy the Which, shit out of people. Um, for those who've never, you know, had to drive a fucking van full of stinky fucks across country. Like you, sh they should be rubbing your damn feet, man. That's a shit job. You know, I mean. I can't, I, I could never take the whole like, yeah, I drove all day thing because I was the one who like woke up in the morning, like kicking people and be like, let's go. I'm driving all day. <laughs> like I was like the, you know, like the, the little spark plug in that way. But that being said, there's another theme I've noticed, which is people from Detroit and Michiganders seem to kind of go through life as real salt of the earth people. Mm. Like, like it seems like wherever you wind up, you're kind of going to stay like a Detroit person. And I wonder if that city kind of has like a New Jersey thing in that way, where it's like, it's a tough town. It's got a deep musical history. People who are from there know how to like talk shit, know how to rib, know how to take shit. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those places that if like you came home and you were all high and mighty, you would get chopped down pretty fast. <laughs> so I think Chad Smith might be a result of this like old Detroit lineage like that. What do you think? Maybe. He definitely, I'll tell you one thing, he partied old school in those days. So I mean, I love the power move even when you're at a venue with a smaller <laughs> band and the promoter walks in, you can tell he's impressed. You're like, yeah, let's get another case of beer. Yeah. That's you know? beautiful. I love that move. I love yeah. that move because it's Absolutely. it's like a Robin Hood move. Like you, oh, you yeah. could, it's altruistic. You could say he's doing a power move on the promoter, but really he's helping out a young band. You know, he's like he's like, you guys need some more beer. I'm going to Chad Smith us some more beer. You know, yeah. But interesting nonetheless. And uh, I really enjoyed that chat with Steve. I'd love to have him on again sometime. We yeah. we always wind up in these weird like. Uh, since we're uniquely two people into punk and sports, we've wound up in a couple, hey, we're into punk and like sports, uh, <laughs> like things. Um, so I was glad to actually talk to him about uh, music and the things we really do, you know? Yeah, and um, if for some bizarre reason you have not been exposed to Pup, go out and listen to them. Um, all their stuff is awesome. The new record yeah. is great. Um, you can catch up with them, their socials, Pup the Band, just about everywhere. Um, Steve is S. Ladcow or Sladcow. Sladcow. <laughs> at Twitter. Um, and he's got two S's at the beginning of that for Instagram. There'll be links on our Instagram. So follow them, follow us. Leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. If you want to leave us a tip at Venmo at Off Track, you can do that. Or as you heard at the beginning of this show, we have a Patreon.com account going off track. Lots of little extra clips and 
all kinds oh, of yeah. crap that you'll pick or up. Or just hit that little five star button yes. and give me a sexually explicit <laughs> comment. I'm still pushing this, Brad, because listen, we talked a lot about in this interview, you know, the last year, everything that happened, what we're going to be looking forward to in the future. And as I close last episode, I'll close this episode. What we all need is a little romance. What we all need is a little buttery sexuality. So please, if you're going to leave a comment, take your little silk boxer shorts off before you do it. (laughs) 